Hey Salt Church, I'm so sorry I'm not with you this afternoon. I've got COVID and not supposed to be out and about. I did think about putting on a singlet and shorts and saying that I was delivering this sermon while I was running the Ironman, but actually I tried doing the garbage, taking the garbage out and I got puffed just doing that. And so here I am sitting down in my study and looking forward to preaching 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with you. But I am bummed I'm not with you. I love you, love what God is doing through you, glad that we're in partnership together. And so how about we have a look at this awesome passage for today. Have you ever considered how simple, clear and exclusive the gospel of Jesus is? I mean, it could be boiled down to just three words. Jesus is Lord. Simple, clear, exclusive. But what do I mean by exclusive? Well, if Jesus is Lord, then everyone must either submit to Jesus or resist Jesus. As Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us, that everyone must be saved through Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which people must be saved. The gospel of Jesus is exclusive. But here's the thing about simple, clear, exclusive messages. Some people who hold to them are dangerous. And by dangerous, I mean they're either jerks or worse. And so it is good for us to consider the exclusivity of Jesus' gospel. In our passage today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us that opportunity. In today's passage, we hear the Apostle Paul declare his gospel convictions, and he does it with gospel compassion, and we'll also hear God's call on our own lives. But today's passage is a little difficult to follow, and and so we'll have to cover some of the background, uh, refresh our memories from what Nathan took us through last week. And so here's how the sermon today is going to roll out. Firstly, we're going to look at background. Then we'll look at gospel conviction. Then we'll look at gospel compassion. And then we'll finish with gospel commission. And so background, gospel conviction, gospel compassion, and gospel commission. First of all, the background. And fortunately, Nathan did a great job of this last week. And and so I only only need to be brief this week. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul's gospel ministry work in Philippi. It was work for which Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and thrown in jail. That was Acts chapter 16 and Philippi. And then Acts chapter 17 opens with, Uh, them getting out of jail and heading to Thessalonica. You might remember from last week that Paul only preached in the Jewish synagogues there for three weeks, at which point the local Jews were trying to hunt Paul down. Now, within three weeks of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, some of the Thessalonians were saved. Those Christians They helped smuggle Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica and down to Berea. But here's the thing. Those angry Thessalonian Jews 
hunted Paul down into Berea and they ran him out of Berea as well. Here's why that background is helpful for today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul keeps justifying his ministry, which was really unusual for Paul. Paul usually liked to downplay himself so that he could upplay, so that he could make much of Jesus. But the hate-filled mob were saying lots of negative things about Paul. They were saying things like, Paul's a coward. He, he ran away from Thessalonica. Paul's just after your money. Paul is a deceiver. They were doing their best to discredit Paul and Paul's message. And so Paul called the Thessalonians to remember his message and his behavior amongst them. Six times in our passage, Paul wrote, you know, or you remember, or you are witnesses. The hate-filled mob was slandering Paul, but Paul told the Thessalonians, now remember what we spoke and how we spoke it. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, not to defend his own personal reputation, but to encourage the Thessalonians to hold on to the gospel message that he wrote. That's the background to... Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, now let's have a read from uh, verse 1, chapter 2 with me, and hopefully that background will make sense as we read along. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 1, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. You know that you yourselves were saved. You know the power of the gospel that we preach to you. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We're not cowards, you know. We, we came and we preached in the face of opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We're not people pleasers. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. We, we, we weren't after your money. We weren't trying to flatter you. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Well, have you ever had to face strong opposition? Scottish Presbyterian Hugh McHale did. Uh, Mikhail was a Presbyterian minister when King Charles II persecuted any and all Christian ministry that did not come out of the Church of England. Hugh was in his 20s and he continued to freely preach the gospel and he joined with a, a band of other Christians called the Covenanters. But Hugh was captured by the king's men and he was tortured in the infamous boot and he was tortured so that he would give up names of other covenanters. And the boot involved his leg being encapsulated in a steel tube, and there was a wedge put at the top of his knee in between his leg and in between this steel casing. 
And every time that uh, Hugh failed to give up a name of his co-conspirators, uh, the torturer would pound the wedge with a mallet. Eleven times that wedge was bashed. Hugh's leg was splintered. Now, after the torture, Mikhail didn't give up any of the names, and he was sentenced to be hanged. When Hugh Mikhail dragged himself up the hanging scaffold on December 22nd, 1666, he did so joyfully. Have a listen to his words. Now I leave off to speak any more with created beings and begin my communion with God, which shall never be broken off. Farewell, father and mother, friends and relations. Farewell, the world and all delights. Farewell, meat and drink. Farewell, sun, moon and stars. Welcome, God and Father. Welcome, sweet Lord Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Welcome, blessed spirit of grace. God of all consolation, welcome glory, welcome eternal life, welcome death. Hugh McHale continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of strong opposition. How? Well, his boldness was in God and God's gospel. Such boldness comes from seeing the glory of God, which makes all other glories look small. The, the glory of people-pleasing looks tiny compared to the glory of God. The glory of money looks tiny compared to the glory of God. The glory of earthly comfort looks tiny compared to the glory of God and eternity with Him. Back to Paul and, and Thessalonians. Paul was not defending his reputation in chapter 2. Paul was reminding the Thessalonians, these young Christian converts, of the glory of God and God's gospel. Paul was not a mad man running around the countryside looking forward to being beaten by mobs of people. No, Paul was a man convicted that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation from hell. Paul was convicted that this life is short, but eternity is forever. Therefore, the only life worth living now is one completely spent being bold for God, come what may. Now, as I mentioned earlier, some people who hold such an exclusive message can be dangerous. And so here's where we turn from gospel conviction and we now turn to gospel compassion. And I want you to read from verse 7 with me. Instead, we were like young children. Uh, instead, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. 
Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. We didn't want your money. We worked. We earned a living while we were amongst you. We just wanted you to be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. By this stage of Paul's ministry, Paul had a reputation. It preceded him. And while there were many who were eager to hear this gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul was preaching, there were also many who wanted to hunt Paul down. Paul had just been beaten up in Philippi. And then it was only three weeks of preaching in Thessalonica when the Jews rose up and were trying to run Paul out. Stop and consider the situation. Paul was steeped in persecution. Our normal response to persecution, our normal response would be fight or flight. You know that anxious adrenaline that courses through our bodies when we come up against something? that We either want to fight back or we want to run away. But Paul was like a nursing mother. In the face of opposition, Paul's primary concern was the eternal state of those young Thessalonian converts. It's worth pointing out what Paul was not concerned about. Paul was not concerned about a pay packet for his time in Thessalonica. Paul was not concerned with defending his personal reputation. Paul was not concerned for his personal welfare. How do we know that those were not Paul's concern? Because after Paul was chased out of Thessalonica, Paul stopped and wrote a letter, a caring, loving letter back to those fledgling converts. Paul's primary concern was establishing these young Christians in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul's motherly love did not change after he left. Paul wrote back to them, not to defend his personal reputation, but to establish their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, when we know that we are loved by God. Not because of anything that we have done, but only through the mercy of God established through the gospel of Jesus Christ dying in our place. We are free, not just to love each other, not just to love new Christians, but to love even our enemies. Paul just like his saviour, King Jesus, held his convictions with boldness and shared his convictions with compassion. Hugh McHale dragged himself up to his hanging with joy-filled words of communion with God, rather than some angry rant about the injustice of his situation. How? Knowing that we are 100% loved by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
frees us from the fear of people. And it frees us to be switched on to loving people in light of their eternal salvation. Okay, we, we've looked at gospel convictions, we've looked at gospel compassion, and we now finish with gospel commission. It calls Paul's, uh, <laughs> Paul's conviction and compassion is not supposed to be unique to an apostle. Hugh McHale's conviction and compassion is not supposed to be unique to the bloody reign of King Charles II. No. Jesus commissions every single one of his followers to be bold missionaries of his gospel. The gospel that was entrusted to Paul is the same gospel that has been entrusted to you and I. Read from verse 11 with me. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, uh, encouraging, exhorting, uh, pleading with you with, to be courageous, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Uh, again, it's helpful to remember the original setting. These new Christians saw Paul get run out of their own town. They knew that Paul had been beaten in the previous town. They knew Paul was being hunted down in his next town. And they knew all of that happened to Paul only because he was teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. So, when Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to live a life worthy of God, who has called them into God's kingdom and glory. Paul was reminding them of their commission to Jesus' gospel, a commission that would inevitably lead to persecution. Paul was saying, don't hold back. God has called you into his kingdom and glory. Don't Hold back. You know, Nathan did something brilliant for us last week. He linked your Matthew preaching series to the Thessalonians preaching series via Acts. Here's why that was so brilliant. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we hear our Lord commission us. He commands us, he commissions us, go make disciples. And then as we read through Acts, we see what that looked like. We see what that commissioning looked like in the lives of the very first Christians. It looked like ordinary Christians, like you and me, getting converted through hearing the gospel of Jesus preached by the apostles. And hand in hand with that preaching and conversion came persecution. As the churches grew, so did the persecution. The persecution came from emperors. Uh, for instance, we read about Aquila and Priscilla being run out of Rome by the emperor Claudius in, in Acts chapter 18. 
The persecution came from local business owners, like when Paul and Silas were beaten by the local business owners in Philippi, we read about in Acts chapter 16. And the persecution came from inside churches, like at Thessalonica, when the zealous and jealous Jews rose up against Paul. Here is what we're supposed to learn. Persecution is a normal Christian experience. (laughs) Think about the Thessalonian experience. Within three weeks of being converted, they were helping Paul escape from Jews that were part of the very synagogue in which they were converted. Telling a first century Christian that persecution was part and parcel of being a Christian would have been like telling a fish they live in water. Like, yeah, of course, are, are you, do you think you're telling me something amazing? Of course, persecution's part of being a Christian. So, why do us 21st century Western Christians do everything we can to avoid persecution? I mean, think about all the hot-button social issues that we go silent on, simply because we know that the Bible's clear teaching is opposed by popular thought. Why are we so afraid to speak up on beginning-of-life and end-of-life issues? Why are we so afraid to speak up on sexuality, marriage, and family? And why are we so afraid to declare that Jesus Christ is the only name given under heaven by which people must be saved? Well, one reason we're afraid to speak up is because some Christians are real jerks when they speak up. They use the gospel as a weapon rather than the life-saving balm every single person on the planet needs. I know many of you at Salt, and I know the church family that I'm part of here in Port, and and I know myself. I don't think our problem is being a jerk. Our big issue is being afraid of persecution because we enjoy our comfort. We fear what our friends will think of us because we have forgotten what is more important is what our friends think of Jesus. And perhaps, perhaps the reason we've forgotten that what our friends think of Jesus is more important is because we think little of Jesus. I mean, after all, that is where the fear of people comes from. You see, when the fear of people is big in our minds, it's only because God has become small in our minds. So here's my take home for this week. Go home, grab 1 Thessalonians 2 and underline every gospel, every word, you know, the word gospel. Every time you see it in those 12 verses, underline it. And then reread those verses and see how it is the gospel that was Paul's conviction. The gospel that shaped Paul's compassion. It's the gospel that Paul commissioned those early Christians into. And as you do that easy, short, 
little exercise. Remember, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus coming to die for you while you were still an enemy. It is the gospel of Jesus that saves you from hell. It is the gospel of Jesus that converted you from rebel to child of God. It is the gospel of Jesus that has secured your eternity with God. Yes, Jesus' gospel is exclusive. But that is because it is only through Jesus Christ that people can be saved. We don't wield the gospel like a club to beat people. No, we carry the gospel of Jesus in our words and in our actions like medicine that both keeps us alive and excited and bold and for people to be saved. Now, what I'm encouraging you to do, it's very simple because it's something that we must do every day. Every day, we must be in love with Jesus and his gospel so that we can go and love people come what may. Brother, sister, don't hold back. It is Jesus who has commissioned us to speak his gospel with conviction and compassion. Don't hold back. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, Thank you. Thank you for sending your son to save us. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying in our place. Almighty God, thank you for raising Jesus Christ to be Lord and Saviour. And Holy Spirit, would you remind us again today of your glorious gospel that has saved us from life, out of death to life. Oh, Father, we pray that we would grow in our convictions, that we would only hold them with compassion, and we would be so eager to go out on mission every day to share your good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.